the promise of the sending of the Holy Spirit and other truths in this passage.
three. In the unity of the Godhead, we have been three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. Illustration. 
uh, all we have, uh, what we tend to have, we end up with is bad analogies, as they sometimes say. Uh, but there is a particular point I want to make in saying this, in using this illustration, more than an analogy, it's an illustration, that um, if you're dealing with a, a human being, you have somebody who is one being, and only one person, and only one nature. And yet, if you should meet a person who had uh, what they sometimes refer to as a multiple personality disorder, someone who kept flipping from one personality to another, one persona to another, you'd soon realise that, especially if you were treating that person, that uh, you would perhaps need to understand their different personae in order to understand what's going on with them. Now, of course, God doesn't flip into different personalities. One person acting with different characters is very different than the one God in three distinct persons and the three persons in one God, uh, eternally and unchangeably so. But my point is that knowing about God's triunity is essential to understanding him. This is a very basic thing about him. Now our text gives some evidence of this, and as I say, it is uh, this doctrine of the Trinity is a difficult one, and you may find uh, at times that there are things that uh, are uh, beyond what you understand at the present point in time. Well, I hope that that doesn't uh, deter you from learning what you may of these things, uh, each one according to their ability and God's work in you at this point in time. We look then at this text under three headings. First of all, the Helper and the Father. Secondly, the Helper and the Son. And uh, I'll say in advance, that is the point that is where things become most difficult in terms of uh, theological discussion on this. And uh, third, the Helper and Us. The Helper and the Father, the Helper and the Son, and the Helper and Us. In this uh, passage that speaks about God's trying nature but has a focus on the helper, the Holy Spirit. In the first place then, the, I want to just briefly summarise the doctrine of the Trinity, especially as we find that doctrine summarised in this article of the Westminster Confession, to try and, so that we can keep that in our minds as we look then at text. So there are four things that I want to say very briefly about the Trinity, and the first is that there are three distinct centres of self-consciousness in the unity of the Godhead, or to put it more simply, three persons in one God and one um, God in three persons. That's the first thing. The second thing is that all three persons are fully and equally divine of the same substance power and eternity, or to put it another way, all three persons have the same divine attributes because all three are fully God. The third thing that we need to keep in mind is that these three persons are eternally distinguished one from the other. They are distinct persons, one from the others, each one from the other two. And yet, at the same time, in eternity, there is no hierarchy. There is no one person having more authority and the other two having to submit to that in eternity. 
And then the fourth thing, that the three persons agreed from eternity that they would nevertheless act in a certain order in time, in history, especially in order for our salvation. And that order involved the Father sending the Son and the Son agreeing to submit to the Father's will. And then the Father and the Son sending the Spirit and the Holy Spirit submitting to this as well. And again, the illustrations, dangerous as they may be uh, with this particular matter, uh, sometimes there can be some help from them. And uh, so I would use this illustration in a, in a certain way that uh, you have a husband and wife in family and the husband and wife are equally human beings. They are equal as beings, but they agree to certain roles where the husband has a headship and the wife agrees to submit to that headship for the sake of the Lord. So you have those who are equal, but they agree to a certain order in terms of authority and submission. Um, so we can uh, perhaps understand from that a little bit of what it means that three equal persons, a very different situation, but the three different persons, equal as uh, to their divinity, nevertheless agree to act in a certain way uh, in their works with uh, this world. Now, uh, some of those truths that I've referred to are brought out in this text. We read for one thing that the Lord Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit. And elsewhere in the scripture it is said that the Father sent the Son as well. So the Father sends the Son to do his will, uh, John 4 verse 34, and we also read that here that the Lord Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And as is often the case, sending someone to carry out your will in our experience, that generally implies that the sender has more authority than the one sent. So, for example, a teacher sends a student to pass on a message to another classroom, or Jesus sends out his disciples to do miracles and to teach, and that indicates a certain order. Here, too, when the Father sends the Son, and the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit, that implies a certain order in history, in their work in this world, uh, from Father to Son and to Holy Spirit. However, there is much more to this agreed-upon order, this agreed-upon chain of command. And the text tells us that the Holy Spirit would be sent from the Father, and that's a, a very, very significant way of speaking, because the original language has more than one word for from, and this particular one means somebody who is sent from alongside. So the Son sends the Holy Spirit from alongside the Father. Or to put it in the language of our confessions and of theology throughout the, the centuries, the Holy Spirit proceeds, uh, he goes forth from alongside the Father. He doesn't go forth from under the Father's foot, so to speak, but as an equal from alongside. <coughs> and uh, you can find similar language used of the, the uh, Lord Jesus being, uh, the term is often used there, generated, that's 
the Holy Spirit is said to proceed from alongside the Father. The Lord Jesus is said to be begotten or to be generated from alongside the Father. Moreover, the tense that is used here indicates that this is something that is always happening. He always goes forth. He's always proceeding. It doesn't say he proceeded or he will proceed, but he is always proceeding. And this is unlike any kind of procession that we're used to. You think of a funeral procession, or you think of a, a Christmas procession, a Christmas parade, and these things have a starting point and they have an end point. But when we deal with this proceeding of the Holy Spirit, it's something that is eternal. No beginning and no end. He is always going forth from the Father. And it's this area, this area of the, the eternal relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that's one of the most difficult parts of the doctrine of the Trinity. One of the most difficult parts for us to understand. We also see the equality with God in that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Truth. Just as the Lord Jesus is also said to be the Truth. Because God is the Truth. And the Son and the Spirit are both equally God. And likewise, all three are equally holy. God is holy. The Lord Jesus Christ as God is holy in the same way, and the Holy Spirit is holy. You see the same character and the same attributes because the three persons are equally divine. Now there are some who say that the Holy Spirit is not actually a person, more like a force or the power of God in action. That's a teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. But the text addresses that issue as well. For here, the Holy Spirit is not called an it, but a he. And the text speaks of him as a helper, and it's also as one who testifies. And the word helper is a very rich word that can also mean comforter, encourager, even exhorter, and one who calls. And forces don't do that. Forces don't comfort, they don't encourage, they don't exhort, they don't call, and they don't testify. The forces of gravity, electricity, magnetism, they don't comfort as such, they don't encourage, they don't exhort, they don't call, and they don't testify. Now these are personal activities carried out by the third person of the Trinity who is fully and equally divine with the other two persons, but who agreed to be sent in order to carry out these activities, testifying, comforting, and so forth, as third in the chain of command, so to speak, from Father to Son and Holy Spirit, in this work in the world. It is, however, when we come in the second place to consider the relationship between the Helper and the Son, where things become a little bit more complex. And this is an argument that began, well, it, it started in earnest probably around the 7th century AD and continued raging 
especially up until the 11th century. Uh, there were those who talked about these matters prior to the 7th century, but this is where things got very heated. As to whether the Holy Spirit only eternally proceeds from the Father or whether he eternally proceeds from both the Father and the Son. And this was actually a factor in the 11th century split between the Western or Roman-based church and the Eastern Orthodox world. The former, the Roman-based church, uh, arguing that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Whereas the Eastern Orthodox said, no, 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 only from the Father, not from the Son. Today, an increasing number of Protestants, even some who are Reformed, are questioning the addition of the word Son to that formula. And this can be a hard matter to settle because the issue is not whether the Son sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in history. Clearly he did so. But the argument is whether the Son has, with the Father, been eternally breathing the Spirit, so to speak, who is then eternally going forth and proceeding from the Father and the Son. Now, all of this might seem like a very technical debate to you. Uh, it may seem like a theological hair-splitting, as I mentioned. Uh, there are certainly those who say that today. And it is, as I mentioned, a very difficult subject. But I want to point out that this is in the Nicene Creed, and we all stood up and confessed that we believe it just a few moments ago. And it's also in the Athanasian Creed, where it's said to be an essential doctrine. And in Article 23 of the Athanasian Creed, it says the Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, <coughs> proceeding and similar language, as I say, in the Nicene Creed. It's also here, obviously, in the Westminster Confession, chapter 2, article 3, the Holy Spirit eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. And also the Belgian Confession, chapter 11, the Holy Spirit from eternity proceeds from the Father and the Son. And if something is put like that in the creeds and confessions, it is put there for us to learn and to know about as far as we can, though that may be a challenge for us. Well, so far in the creeds and confessions, but is there any proof text for this? So this is where a lot of the argument lies today. If you look in the proof texts for the Westminster, our text is the main one that's given there. Because it doesn't simply say that the Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, but it, the language means that Jesus sent the Spirit from alongside the Father, indicating that the Lord Jesus had such a relationship with the Holy Spirit and had the ability himself that he could do that, that he could actually send the Spirit from alongside the Father in such a way that in time he came also uh, at Pentecost in fullness to uh, minister and work in God's people. Moreover, the Holy Spirit is described, and I think if there's any uh, proof text for this teaching, this is the closest to it. 
The Holy Spirit is described as both the Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 2, you get that already there. The uh, Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Exodus 31 verse 3, um, Isaiah 11 verse 2. But the Holy Spirit is also described, and this is the significant point, he is described as the Spirit of Christ. Romans 8 verse 9, Galatians 4 verse 6, for example. But the Scripture never speaks of the Father or the Son being sent, or the Father and the Son being proceeding from, from the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's also sometimes uh, John 16 is used, verses 13 to 15, where Jesus says, All things that the Father has are mine, but he adds that the Holy Spirit will take of mine and disclose it to you. So again you have this idea that the role of the Holy Spirit in saving us, his mission in this world, reflects an eternal relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit in which he proceeds from the Father and the Son. Uh, there's some additional theological arguments as well. Uh, if the Holy Spirit only proceeds from the Father and not the Son, then that would seem to indicate that he does not have such a close relationship with the Son as he does with the Father. And that would undermine the doctrine of the Trinity, in which all three persons are fully God, and all three relate to each other with perfect closeness. And then a second argument is used that if the Holy Spirit did not have that closeness to the Son, how could he effectively complete his mission to apply the Son's work on earth as another helper, as another comforter, like the Lord Jesus, but continuing his work? To take all that is his, the Lord Jesus, and disclose it. Uh, John 14 also uh, speaks of that. A poor illustration, another poor illustration, but uh, perhaps it will help a little bit. You ring a uh, plumbing company to fix a pipe in your house that is oozing something particularly nasty into your backyard. The boss promises to send someone and you obviously expect someone who's fully qualified, you expect a plumber to come around, not an electrician or some other tradie. And in fact, you expect someone who is so close to the boss, he knows exactly what the problem is and how to fix it. So when the Lord Jesus promises to send another helper to fix our mess, you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit has all the qualifications because he comes from alongside the Father, he's equally divine, but also that he is perfectly close to the Son, and he is proceeding from him as well as from the Father, and has all, his, all he needs in order to continue the Son's work on earth. Well, we consider then in the third and final place, what we know of this work of the Holy Spirit and the way that he helps us as he carries out these things. We are told here that he comes to testify about the Lord Jesus and he does that by causing us to be born again, by giving us the gift of faith, by giving us 
uh, understanding of the scripture and illumination into the meaning of the scripture. We know also that he comes as our advocate, our friend at court, continuing the work of the Lord Jesus, coming as our helper, our comforter, and our admonisher. We know that he applies the word and the work of Christ to us, and that as he does so, he helps us to fight against sin, to pursue holiness, to pray, and also enables us to testify about the Lord Jesus to others. We know that he gives us the gift of assurance as part of the gift of faith, assurance of sonship, as we read the word of Christ. And the point I want to make about this is that those works actually cover the whole life and experience of the Christian, as does the work of the Father and the Son. And that is why I said before that the doctrine of the Trinity has its application in everything we do as Christians. It comes into everything that work. And while you may think that talk about the eternal procession of the Spirit from the Father and the Son, that this is theological hair-splitting, or too difficult for the uh, average layman, I even read a, um, a reformed writer who said it's really difficult to put these things into laymanese. Uh, and I, uh, I must say I'm not too keen on that way of speaking. I think uh, if it's there in the scripture and if it's summarised in our confessions, we're meant to be able to learn it, though it may take time and it may take work. So while you may think that these things are uh, too uh, hair-splitting and so on, I want to stress that these truths are actually vitally important for your life. Because the Holy Spirit's mission to us and our mission as well, our mission to spread the gospel to the world. So the Holy Spirit's mission with all of life, this life-encompassing effect that his word has, depends on an eternal procession in which he eternally receives all that God is as he keeps on going forth from alongside the Father and also the Son that perfectly close relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is connected with this procession uh, also enables us to receive that word from the Holy Spirit and to carry out our mission in this world, including testifying, as I mentioned. So whenever you find yourself understanding something in the Scripture, when you find yourself believing or acting upon God's word, when you find yourself looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and fixing your eyes upon him, when you find yourself enjoying that sense of assurance that you are a child of God, or receiving comfort from the scriptures when you're grieving, or other help from God's word, when you find yourself successfully resisting sin at a certain point, or the sense that you're growing in holiness, in the pursuit of holiness, when you find yourself able to pray to God, with faith and sincerity, you can be sure that that's only so because the Father sent the Son and the Son sent the Holy Spirit who eternally proceeds from Father and Son. To see the work of the Holy Spirit in this way, uh, a way that draws us 
to look at the Lord Jesus Christ who sent him and from whom he eternally proceeds. And in seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, to see also the Father who, from whom the Son, who eternally generates the Son and who with the Son uh, breathes the Spirit so that he eternally proceeds. This is not to play down the Holy Spirit, but it is to use the work of the Holy Spirit for the reason that he was sent to do it. Having uh, agreed to subordinate himself to the Father and the Son, he agreed to that in order that we would look to the Lord Jesus, in order that in knowing the Lord Jesus we would also know God, the Father. And there are many around today who want to take the work of the Holy Spirit and try to draw attention to the Holy Spirit in his own right. Uh, Neo-Pentecostalism tends to do that with the emphasis on the Holy Spirit as the one who can give you power and enable you to do extraordinary miracles and so forth. But if we want to align with the Holy Spirit's true purpose, then see how his help applies the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and points to him, and how the Lord Jesus Christ then reveals the will of the Father so that we can know the triune God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we admit that these truths about the eternal relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit, this is beyond us, this is deepest mystery. But Father, we thank you for the outcome, the outcome of our salvation and our sanctification and our perseverance and our comfort, accomplished by the Christ who is fully God, eternally generated by the Father and applied by the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, eternally proceeding from you and the Son together, a triune work which has such an effect in our lives, a work that cannot fail, and a work that should not be doubted. We thank you for this work and for these assurances. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing the Trinitarian hymn from Solomon Hymnal, number 318. Afterwards, would you please stand for the blessing in Doxology, number 318.
in all three online stanzas one and five. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.